The Morning Struggle podcast is brought to you by Blue Clover Therapy, a mental health counseling practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. Visit www.blueclovertherapy.com for more information. Blue Clover Therapy, because your mental health deserves a specialist. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast, where we take habits of successful people and break them down one at a time into history, science, and action plan so you can implement them into your life to build a better you. Stay tuned. This is the worst way to do a clapper. So for those of you in the world of video, we're clapping so we can sync video and audio. Right. Those of you still in the world of podcasting, we're clapping so we can sync video and audio. Yep. So. But he's doing it with hockey sticks. I'm doing it with hockey sticks because we don't have a clapper. Like I said, I'll buy a clapper thing from the Amazons. Although I have to say the clapping of the hockey sticks is pretty close. It's pretty To like what an good. actual clapper thing would do. Yeah. So, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast. I'm Ty. I'm Jesse. And we bring you habits of successful people. And today, what are we talking about? We are talking about meditation. We're talking about meditation. We're not even going to banter or quip. We're going to get right into meditation because this is a serious practice that you need to do perfectly every time. <laughs> no. And that's why you're here today, to learn how to do meditation perfect and yes. never mess up. Perfection. Is that, that's what we're trying to achieve Is that what we're here. doing? Uh, no. In fact, meditation is one of the messier things, one of the messier habits that you we will ever try to teach you. The messier habits? Mm-hmm. Just willy-nilly? You can just throw it together how you want it? Kind of, yeah. What? That doesn't seem like a successful path. But your brain likes it. Your brain does like it. Yeah. And your body likes it. Yeah. And pretty much everything likes it. Yeah. So it actually is one of those successful habits that a lot of people implement because you can implement it different ways and it is very, very beneficial. Yes. But real quick, let's bring everybody or tell everybody what we're doing here with yes. our back to basics. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to, we're taking our habits that we've done. So we have like 60 plus, like it's a lot of them. So we bring you habits of, we research habits of successful people. Right. And then we teach you, we implement them in our life and we kind of teach you how to implement them in yours to become, oh my gosh, to become more successful. <laughs> You are attacking I things know. today this morning. Hands are all over. Okay. <laughs> well, but so what we're doing is we're taking the ones that we felt were the most effective. and From those like 60 that we did before. Yeah. And we're we're pulling them out and we're, we're more thoroughly going through how to implement them and how to, like the things that, how they're beneficial. So we break it down. So we have a history segment. We have our science part that talks about the benefits, right? We have coffee. And then we go into the action plan where it goes into how to actually implement these things. Right. So, and today is meditation. So how to actually implement meditation into your world. So we're going to bring you back to basics. We're going to put together like the four most important habits that we feel you should implement when you're starting out. Yes. So if you've been with us the whole time, maybe go back and revisit these four, make sure they're nice and solid. Mm -hmm. If you're new, this is a great place to start. It's a good start. So today, yesterday we talked about early morning wake up. Mm -hmm. Hopefully everybody's up this morning at Mm -hmm. 5am-ish or or just a couple hours of runway. If I could wink, I'd be like, yeah, us too. We got it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Instead, I just blink if you can see it on the video now. (laughs) But but hopefully you're waking up early to give yourself some runway. Listen to that episode. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to talk about meditation, which a lot of successful people implement in their daily routine yes so without further ado meditation this day in history all right like all things in my life i attack this with vigor 
<laughs> like I was to conquer the history of meditation. Yeah. And I used your highlighter. Oh my gosh. So here we go. It. You ready? Mm-hmm. Meditation's been around for a long time, probably like forever. Yeah. So like if you think about meditation in the, the typical sense of the word, it's kind of like a transcendental or you're trying to connect to either your body or the spirit or the cosmos yeah so like anytime you kind of like daydream and gaze out in the stars and like space out Mm -hmm. that could be considered like a meditation absolutely so our ancient ancestors probably sat there and looked at the stars and been like i wonder if i'm going to get eaten by a tiger tonight that's probably (laughs) meditation you know but in the in the modernish sense of the word where you're actually doing meditation and probably some mantras or some some ohms or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're th- they're thinking about 5,000 to 3,500 BCE is when this originated. They found oh. some wall art in India showing people in their cross-legged state with you know oh, their hands yeah. together uh-huh. uh, doing the typical traditional pose. Nice. But it wasn't actually, they don't know if it was actual meditation, but it was referenced from India in the Vedas. The Vedas oh. are a, a Hindu scripture, like the first Hindu scripture. Right. And they reference meditation in there. And that was 1500 BC. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and so th- they really wanted like union with transcendental reality. So like connection with universal forces. Yeah, which is so, meditation. Which That's is meditation. Awesome. And uh-huh. Hindus weigh into that with all their gods. So there's kind of like two, two kind of sects of Hindu tra- traditions, yogis uh-huh. and sages. Okay. Sages were like the wise men and yogis were like the, the spiritual gurus. Okay. So, and that's kind of where you get yoga from. Yoga is one of those, oh. one of those movements. Um, so they had mantra meditation. Okay. So there's different kinds of meditation. There's yes, mantra tons med- of them. Mantra yeah. meditation though, uh-huh. where you say a mantra. Yeah. You know, you, and then like you do your ohms, you do your meditation and then, and then gazing which it would be like your breathing exercises and you just, or you, you stare off or you yeah, like think about your breath. Yeah, like a soft gaze somewhere, just, yeah. Just kind of one with your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yoga kind of falls into that gazing one where you're just Because it's all about your breath. on your breath, yep. right? And a physical being. So you're either saying a prayer-esque mantra uh-huh. or you are aware of like your breath or your body. Okay. So those are kind of like your two types of meditations. Right. Okay, so you've got the, the Hindu Vedas, Right. And they've been doing their meditation. Right. And then all of a sudden, along comes this guy named Siddhartha. Okay. In the sixth century BCE. So we're, we're talking. I like how he, like he comes along like he's, yeah. like he's like the big man on campus. This is he, like is, a, he was a, he was, he was a, a prince. He was a prince, super rich. Mm-hmm. And he had um, yogis teaching him meditation. Very cool. And he said, you know, you've been doing this since about 5,000 BCE. They use that BCE back in the day as well. Of course. He said, he said, you're doing this for so long. But you know what? I can do it better. So he went off and uh, he was dissatisfied with the yogis, went off on his own. He modernized it. Became, became Buddha. Oh, he was the big man on campus. He became the big he man on campus. He was the guy on campus. Yeah, so he spent the next couple decades learning his meditation practice, mm-hmm. teaching his meditation practice all throughout Asia. Um, and then this is like the most common form that we see in the West. Yeah. So if you, like you, if you eat at Whole Foods and you wear Birkenstocks, you probably say you're a Buddhist. But there's a lot more. There's a lot more to it than just being, yeah, Yeah. there's a lot to it. Exactly. Um, Okay, so then we got got Jainism, Taoism, and Confucianism. Um, Confucianism. Uh, Let's see here. So Jainism is from India. Mm -hmm. Um, It's another form. This is like during the golden century. So during Buddha, you have all these like meditative practice branching off. 
Oh, I see. So you got Jainism in India, Taoism in China, and Confucianism in China. Okay. So uh, Jainism was like self-purification, self-discipline, contemplation, and nonviolence. And it was a mantra. Like, I will not punch my boss. I will not punch my boss. Oh, yeah. Kind of, kind of mantras. Yeah, that's They fair. don't do the They do like that. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Taoism was union with the Tao or cosmic life. Right. Like the essence of everything. And Confucianism was like morality and, conf- and uh, um, community life. Oh, I see like, what you're like saying. Confucius says, you know, man on toilet, whatever. <laughs> he does not mention that at all. But think it's of, a, think of like societal. Fortune cookies. It's yeah, a societal fortune thing. Cookies. Yeah. That's, that's a Confucianism. Okay. So then we move on. We start heading a little bit west. Okay. And we get into the Greek philosophers. So during this time, people were actually moving around traveling. So people were kind of butting up against each other, either like people traveling for trade mm. or exploration, and then they'd bring it back to their their home village. So Greek philosophers had influences from the sages and the yogis of India, oh. and they started to spread kind of the meditation practices around Greece and Eastern Europe. Oh, and no so kidding. Even Alexander the Great in like 327 BC bought, um, he, he, he invaded India. And then he took their meditation practices. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, yep. if, if you're going to invade somebody, at least be like, you know what? I do like what you're doing here. Yeah, so you we're got, gonna, you got things figured we're out. We're going to keep that under my oppressive rule. <laughs> um, and so this kind of went away, though, in Europe once Christianity took hold. Yes. Which was, was right after, like, a few hundred years A.D. Mm-hmm. Um, they really didn't uh, allow or just didn't, didn't really practice any Eastern meditation stuff. Gotcha. But when you say, well, I'm Christian... I don't meditate. You, you absolutely you do. do. Yes, you do. So, and and the, we'll give a couple examples of the most, um, the the most blaring and blatant meditative Christian practices, real quick. So, there's the Jesus Prayer, mm-hmm. which is the 10th and 14th centuries in Greece, and essentially, anytime you say a prayer or you repeat something or you in a chanting in type a chanting way. type way, mm-hmm. or you are kind of one with yourself and quietly contemplating. Guess what you're doing. You're meditating. You're meditating, yep. right? Um, but this group, this group uh, who came up with the Jesus Prayer from ancient Greece, mm-hmm. they actually had contact with the Sufis. What? And the Sufis, we'll talk about here in a little bit. But they are, are a meditative practice as well. Uh-huh. So even though you say, well, like well, I'm, I'm Christian, I'm from the West. Nope, you've got a ton of Eastern influence in your practices, um, and and monks too in Christian. Yes. So the ben- Benedictine monks. Because uh, there's a lot Benedictine of monks. Um, uh, ohms, mantra. ohms, mantras, yeah. chanting. A lot of them were influenced by by Eastern mantra practices. Okay, so then we get into Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. and this was this was AD, this like eighth century AD. Oh, so so now you've got Christianity everywhere, and you've got um, Zen becomes a school of Buddhism. Oh, and it was founded in India and Persia uh, by by Bodhidharma. Okay, so he was super famous. We're like, yeah. hey, Bodhi, like, that's that's Bodhi. <laughs> That's easy. Yep. Yep. Like, uh, just like Point Break. It's not. It's from Point Break. The guy from Point Break. So Patrick Swayze invented Zen Buddhism. Um, And he traveled to China. This guy, this Bodhidharma, traveled to China to teach meditation. And then he branched off into his own thing. Mm. And then Zen became caught on in China, Korea, Japan, Vietnam. And they were collectively known as Zen. It's, It's very Taoist. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's kind of that like empty space. Then we get into the Sufis. Sufism um, is a mystical kind of branch of Islam. Okay. And it goes back 1,400 years. And they use breathing and mantra to influence their connection with God. Oh, I love it. Um, and so 
and they're, they're God Allah, of course. Yeah. So the, the, you can look on the internet. It's pretty interesting. Sufi whirling. Okay. They get in like these outfits that make them look like Russian dolls. Okay. And they just spin. Like all just spin in place. And oh. you watch them spin and you watch them twirl. And then you get into a hypnotic state and they probably get into a hypnotic state. It's like when you get, when your kid all of a sudden just starts spinning around for no uh-huh. reason. Like, what are they doing? No, they know. They're it's doing some they're doing some piece. Sufi meditation right there. And they're probably smarter than you. So you should probably start listening to your kids. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Jewish meditation. We'll go like, just a couple more and we're done. Yeah. Jewish meditation. Uh-huh. Um, there's a Jewish esoteric tradition of Kabbalah. And this is under the influence of Abraham Abdullafi. Mm-hmm. Af- you nailed that name. You nailed it. Yep, he was great. He was in the 1200s, um, but his deep contemplation of philosophical uh, principles, names of God, symbols, prayers, the tree of life. So even even oh, Jewish yeah. Jewish practices do practice some kind of mantra and um, meditation stuff. And in the West Western world, man, we we took this and we commercialized it like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, as we would. As we would. Early 1700s, a lot of these Eastern philosophies began to be translated in European languages, Mm -hmm. um, like the Buddhist um, sutras, the the Bhagavad Gita. um, uh, And this is all like the transcendental movement, um, transcendentalist movement. So like Thoreau and the Beatles and everybody in the West... And all of these yogis started moving over to America yeah. to start these schools. Well, and that's the thing. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. No, right? no. Because, I, I mean, it, it's it's obviously, it's in every religion. It's in every culture. Yep. So, obviously, something's working. Something's working. Right. So, but the last thing, I don't, I'm going super oh. long, but, but here you go. We're going to talk about Swami Rama. Swami Rama is one of those who came over to start a school. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, you know, Mr. Mr. Rama, I don't, I don't know if you are really full of it or like you're like a guru here so we're going to test you so they started to do modern tests on some of these gurus back in the early mid 1900s in the 1960s oh wow so swami rama was one of the first yogis studied by western scientists and they found that he could do some amazing things with his body just through meditation you ready yeah he altered his heartbeat from motionless from or like sitting to 300 beats a minute while sitting motionless for 16 seconds then he dropped his heartbeat down to nearly stopping and not pumping blood what yep he was able to produce alpha delta theta and gamma brain waves oh yeah on command he was able to change the temperature of his skin on his hands at will he has like total control of his body and then he was able to remain fully conscious while asleep like brain brain activity until he was in deep sleep. What? It, he was he he was the real deal. Well, that's the thing yeah. is, and then and I bet as the researchers, they're like, no, no, and then they're doing this all this research, and they're like, oh, I know. Oh my gosh, there must be something actually to this, and that's why it's researched so well now. I know. That is so cool. So anyway, there's your history of meditation. So choose which path you want to do because mm-hmm. there's a bunch of them. You can oh, there's do whichever, a ton of you them. You can do whichever one, and I guarantee you're already doing some of them some form of it i'm gonna start shopping at whole foods and wear some birkenstocks and you know go, that you don't have to Buddhist. do that <laughs> so that's my plan there's more to buddhism than whole foods i know and, I knew, <laughs> and whole foods is great and birkenstocks are great i don't know why i give them such a hard time but anyway it's the combination of the combination. all those yeah. so there's your history of meditation so now you know where it's from so now you don't have to say like well i am just some weird eastern chanter you can say you know what i'm i'm christian or i'm jewish and i am doing this mantra through that because that's the overall goal is you know, connection with the universe, 
or understanding of the self or transcendental reality. So yes. there you go. Let's uh, let's take a break there. Yeah. Let's get into some science of meditation. Yes. Then we'll talk about some coffee. And then we'll tell everybody how they can implement meditation into their day-to-day practice. So you are not wrong. They spend a lot of time researching it. <laughs> like, did you just glance at the camera like yeah yeah i did yeah i'm right they know i'm right so what they've done a ton of research on meditation at this point and yes it is in every religion and you're probably doing a version of it now if you're praying if you're using any type of um, self-affirmation type of stuff that's a form of meditation oh like positive affirmations Mm -hmm. okay yep so uh what they found so they did mri scans and they, they sent these folks through an eight-week course of mindfulness and meditation. And mindfulness and meditation are kind of intertwined in many ways. And you'll get people who are sticklers for the definition of either side. Um, but for this one, it was a mindfulness meditation practice, right? And right. what they found, so the amygdala in your brain is this little part of your brain that is that fight-flight-freeze. It, it activates when we are in danger. Okay, so we are on the Serengeti Plains and there's a lion. We fight, fight, freeze. From that amygdala. And we either kill the lion or we run away and get killed by the Do lion. Do you, would you, that would be your impulse I'm to a, kill? I'm a lion killer. Oh. Are you a lion runner? Or I'm are you... a runner. Okay. Be- yeah, because lions are giant and they will eat you. Have you seen their jaws? I have. I've been have to the zoo. Their, yeah, have I you go, seen go, their the jaws? Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, all right. Anyway, so that amygdala... That piece that tells us that we're in danger and it gets our body to activate and, and move forward without thinking, because we don't think about, I should probably run from this you lion. You just do it. You just do it. It's a reaction. So the amygdala is the one that's cueing you into that. It actually shrinks. Your amygdala shrinks. The amygdala shrinks. And as the amygdala shrinks, the pre- prefrontal cortex, which is all of that rational thought, all of our attention span, um, everything that we think of as human is that prefrontal cortex. Um, so the amygdala shrinks and the prefrontal cortex starts to increase and okay. get thicker. Okay. Okay. Um, and th- the reason why this is so important is because the amygdala, when it's, when it's bigger, it's connected to a lot of part, a lot of parts of the brain. And so when it is bigger, it's easily activated because all parts of the brain are So your reptilian connected. brain of like, I have to run as fast as I can to get away, or I have to fight, boost your cortisol levels, like that kind of response happens when your amygdala is bigger more often. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and it's activated more often. And cortisol is exactly the thing because cortisol is actually a great uh, hormone in our body if it's in small doses when it's supposed to be in there. But when it's chronic, it's bad. Yeah, it, be, it creates uh, inflammation, which then the brain can't heal completely. And you continue to have this fight, flight, freeze way more often. Swelling continues, cortisol continues. It's a bad deal, right? Okay. Right. So, um, but by doing that, we actually are able to, in our day-to-day life, instead of reacting as if the bear is chasing us, we're able to, to think about our reactions more because that amygdala is not attached to every part. So we, med- we meditate, our amygdala shrinks, our prefrontal cortex grows, and we rationalize with the lion so he doesn't eat us. Yeah, we have a conversation with him. So we just, yeah, okay, that yeah. makes sense. No, because in the in a lion situation, we want that amygdala to hit, right? Sure. If I'm about to get hit by a bus, I want the amygdala to hit. But if I am um, in a fight with my spouse, okay, okay I probably don't want it to hit. 
because oh, I'm, okay. I'm not going to make very rational and calm decisions. I'm going to say some mean things and I'm going to attack and be awful, right? So, so it's still working when you are, when it's when it shrinks. It's still working. Absolutely. But just for like main events where when it's really big, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, someone at work said they didn't like my shoes and you get your yeah. fight response and you're like, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to Twitter storm them. Yeah, exactly. Instead of be <laughs> like, these shoes are ugly. Or like, I like these shoes. It doesn't matter what they think. Or I like think. these shoes. Yeah. Like, who, who cares? So or the, those people are just jealous of my shoes. That's right. They're awesome okay. shoes. All right, that amygdala sense. is working how it's supposed to be working. Okay. But it's hard as humans. We don't get chased by a bear very often. And so now we've decided everything is the bear. Okay. If that makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So the, the scale of this change is very much depicted by the, the amount of hours that we've been meditating or in mindfulness practice. Okay, so okay. the longer you do it, the smaller or the better toned your amygdala gets. Yes, your okay. brain is essentially a workout for your brain. Up to about 7,000 hours, then you kind of hit max So once benefit. you hit 7,000 hours, 7, hours of meditation, you're done. You, no. you, you won meditation. <laughs> right High here, five, folks, Jesse said. She told me how to do it. <laughs> 7,000 hours, that's a lot. 7,000 hours, and then you go into maintenance mode because okay. you have to continue. But like the amygdala doesn't doesn't shrink anymore. Your your prefrontal cortex doesn't thicken. Like you, your brain kind of hits this like, oh, it's happy state. It's as buff state. as it's going to be. Yep, All exactly. Right. So that's kind of where that's at. However, if you are starting out, 7,000 hours seems like a lot. So, it is a lot. Yeah, so really if you do about... 15 to 30 minutes of meditation a day, you get the most benefit for the least amount of time. Okay. If that makes sense. That makes sense. And it doesn't have to be consecutive. It doesn't have to be a solid time frame. So that what they talked about is doing mini meditative moments or okay. mindfulness moments um, where throughout the day uh, you can, you know, set a timer. They have these apps where right. it, it pings your phone when they want you to do like 60 seconds of mindfulness that okay. kind of thing right. that that stuff adds up too and it, it still is working out your brain in in a good way okay cool if you do 30 minutes a day every day uh -huh. you're you're looking at like seven years if my math is right before you hit that seven thousand hours yeah that's that's a lot of meditation you'd be pretty good good at it by then well and that's why you it would be a really good idea to have your kids start doing it oh because their their brains are developing and oh. and so yeah and so if if it's in that developmental stage um, they, it's not like they'll have to do less meditation when they get older, but their brain actually is already set up in that. But it's already a habit for them. They don't have to, they don't have to worry about honing it. They just have to maintain it. Yep, exactly. Okay. So, um, by doing this 15 to 30 minutes, you have a reduction in biomarkers for stress. Obviously your cortisol goes down because you're not getting those cortisol kicks as often and inflammation, not only in your brain, but in your entire body. Uh, decreases as well, which which I'm going to tell you why it's it's amazing. But inflammation in your body is bad. It's always bad. It's always bad. Okay. It's not a good idea. So some other benefits: um, increased compassion, and that's front prefrontal cortex. Really, how do they test compassion? It's, do, do they like do? I mean, do they say like they like? Okay, do 15 minutes. Like here's a here's a a, a teddy bear. Mm -hmm. How much do you love the teddy bear? Do 15 minutes minutes of meditation. Do you love the teddy bear more? Like, how do they test <laughs> compassion? So here's the thing. Um, psychology is a soft science, and it's all based on the definition of what the researcher has determined. So he just did a survey. It's, you know. Yeah, he just did a survey. <laughs> he didn't just do a survey. He probably wasn't even there. He probably just survey monkeyed him the, the form 
was like, I don't care about this. Like, I'm just trying to get my doctorate. <laughs> Fill this out, please. <laughs> but All it's right. based on massive amounts of research is what makes something valid. Do you like how I'm defending the whole psychology yeah. Yeah. world? So it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. As long as you do it a bunch, you're good to go. Oh, stop. It's like meditation, <laughs> like you said. Word. You just said it was like meditation. 7,000 hours. Seven, All right. okay. I'm sorry. 7,000 hours. Okay, anyway, you're more compassionate. You have more empathy. Maybe you need more meditation time. I do time. need more meditation. Um. Your it your relationships in general, but specifically like um, general social interaction, okay. you fare better in those interactions because you're you're more likely to have instead of like there's a lot of especially right now with you know pandemic and we're trying to like re-socialize I guess right um, we're not picking up on cues and our amygdala act is actually activated during social interactions because we're waiting for someone to attack us or we're waiting for like someone to insult us or tell us our shoes are ugly right right and so it's like ooh, primed right but then if we can keep that prefrontal cortex on as well it can calm down that amygdala and make it where the social interaction you communicate well you can pick up on their cues and so the social interaction and the in turn the relationship actually fares better long term okay yeah that makes sense um obviously you increase your attention because that prefrontal cortex and then here's here's the thing with this so the inflammation in your all your tissues go down specifically in your brain your brain is very sensitive to cortisol and inflammation okay but here the the thing is is that we have a lot of toxins in our world specifically now the lots of chemicals and everything that we have in the air we breathe in the food we eat mm-hmm. we are very chemically saturated right okay so the that plus inflammation makes it so our bodies do not heal Okay, so so because when we sleep or when we're we're, we're healthy, we heal. We, yeah, we break down, we heal. That's kind of like the cycle of of us, right? Yes. But if you are saturated with this inflammation from high levels of cortisol, mm-hmm. and then things just like a modern diet, heavy in pesticides and yep. and hormones, you just don't have the capability to heal anymore. Yeah, your body cannot break down those things okay. and and. Um, release them. Okay. And so by meditating... The video viewers got the release them. Wink, wink. I can't wink. I'll have to blink. I couldn't wink either. All right. Well, <laughs> we got to work on our... We'll wink. work on those. But, but you can't release those. But with meditation, because the inflammation goes down, it makes it so your body can actually repair, specifically your brain. So it makes everything better dementia goes down uh, memory issues go down because you're able to actually repair coordination goes up because your brain is able to repair itself not only from like big toxic events but just our day-to-day toxic events okay and that's just from meditation yeah that's That's meditation mindfulness and it it doesn't matter doesn't matter what type or style you do no it's It's just that general thing yeah and the cool thing like the way the research is set up they do they find all these different brackets because i'm at one point i think it was like the early 2000s they were trying to find like the perfect meditation Mm -hmm. um it's all good it's all good it's all good if you're if you're spending that time prayer like if you're doing these things, it is beneficial to you. So and even if you're not religious, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't a have to be religious. Thing. I mean, we're like Zen, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So there's the science be- behind meditation. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do a quick coffee segment. Yes. And then we're gonna get in the action plan, and we're gonna re-implement this because we've been bad about meditation lately. Yeah. But we're gonna talk about an action plan so we all together can start meditating, lower that cortisol, lower that inflammation, and really get our brains buff. I drink. 
Putts and putts and putts and putts a strong black coffee Trying to keep my sleepy soul awake But the sleepiness still comes along And when it does, it's fast and strong I end up with a bad case of the shakes <laughs> All right, coffee segment. You ready? No. I'm going, I'm going, we've done this before, but I am going back in because we've been talking about ancient indie and asian and ethiopian peninsula style people meditating yeah so we're also going to talk about something that originated in that area what? the mystic far east coffee is that where it came from so we're gonna do the history of coffee real quick you ready yes it started in the ethiopian plateau ethiopia in africa okay so this was a legend, and they don't say it's history because coffee's so important that it became a legend. It's a big deal. Because it, it happened. It had to have happened this way. <laughs> but a goat herder, um, Kaldi, mm-hmm. he was herding his goats, okay. and they came across these coffee trees. And the berries from the coffee trees were eaten by the goats, and then he noticed his goats got super hyperactive and wouldn't sleep at night. <laughs> I don't think it's like the myotonic goats <laughs> where they like where they get like frozen and they like, and they, they fall, fall over. Off. I don't think it's those kind of goats. They were just like, but they were like super happy hey, goats. I can't I, I think nap they were, right now. Yeah, they were like they were like super fast herders. They were doing the the call these taxes like they were like all over the place um, excited. So he took these coffee beans and he took them to a local abbot at a monastery. Mm-hmm. And he, the abbot, because they make like honey wine and mead and things yeah. like that. He made a drink from it and he drank it and he said, this is amazing. I could stay up during my evening <laughs> prayer the whole time. I guess monks have a problem falling asleep during evening prayer. Like they nod <laughs> off, you know, like could you imagine, just like picture well, you're, you're praying all day long you're praying and all day then long. you're and then you praying the at night time. and you're just like, I'm going to take a little And you nap. had your bowl of gruel, your tummy's all full, you go to pray. <laughs> next thing you know, you're doing the whole little head nod thing. But he was able to stay up during his evening prayer. That's so amazing. then he started feeding it to all the monks in the monastery. Yeah. And they became hyperactive and they were like, we're going to do our chores faster and we're going to get our taxes done. So <laughs> you can say what's, see what's on my mind right now. <laughs> taxes. So anyway, so they said, okay. Um, this is a good good thing. We're going to start growing the coffee beans. Yeah. Then it starts to to spread. They start to take these coffee beans all over the Arabian Peninsula. Oh. So by about the 15th century, um, it was grown in Yemeni district of okay. Arabia, and then by the 16th century, it was in Persia, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey. And they started having these coffee houses. Oh. It's, it's called Cave Kana. Okay. Really coffee houses, names. Okay. Back in like Turkey. Like think of a Turkish coffee house. It's right next to the bathhouse. You know, like we're going to get some coffee. We're going to go take a bath. Coffee. Fun stuff. Um, I'm glad we, we danced on that one. That was good. All right. Um, so that, it was pretty much specifically in that little area for a long time. Right. And then as Europe, same thing with meditation, as they started to bump into each other Ugh, because of trade like and conquest. imagine like having to travel there to get your cup of coffee? I know. So they, they started bringing it back. But coffee only grows in very specific regions. Yes, it's, got, yeah. it's a very fickle plant. Um, but in the 17th century, Europeans brought it back. Um, and <laughs> it had a hard reception in Europe. They said, it's a bitter invention of Satan. And so a lot of like a lot of, a lot of Christian people didn't really like the coffee. Well, because they were drinking tea at that point. Because they were drinking a lot of tea. There yeah. was a lot of tea. Which is the tea there. leaf, which is less yep. bitter. Yeah. But that was also originated from Asia. You know, so yes. they brought it over yeah, from yeah. Asia. So they're but still it, in all the stuff. But I now know. this is Satan's it's drink. An, it's a new thing. It was it was coming in on on the tea market. Mm-hmm. But they gave the coffee drink to Pope Clement the Eighth to say, "You tell us if this is Satanist or not, mm-hmm. or satanic or not." And he said. 
It's delicious. It's the most delicious <laughs> thing delicious. I've ever drank in my life. He didn't say that. He did. He is according to this article. He did, and he gave it papal approval. Could you? Do you like yeah. this? Yeah. He's, he's, it's delicious. He, it's delicious. It's delicious. And I think he drank Folgers is what they were saying. Um, so anyway, so back then in, in like Germany and Holland and England, they had these penny universities because it was a intellectual thing to do to pay a penny, get your coffee, sit around and drink it, and then contemplate the universe all oh, while your parents yeah. are paying for it. Penny University, right? I like that. Yep. Um, and it started to replace the drink of the day or the breakfast drink of the day. Mm-hmm. Coffee did. Mm-hmm. Guess what the breakfast drink of the day was? Tea. Beer and wine. Aww. You'd wake up in the morning and you'd get sauced. Get your- no wonder they like coffee. Like, they, were, they were like drinking their coffee and like, we're going to go to the Penny University and we're going to talk about stuff and we're going to do our taxes. And it was like, it was just great. <laughs> I would um, imagine that coffee would make it where you're more productive. Whereas if you're having beer and wine, you're probably just like, yeah, we were probably a lot better off back then drinking beer and wine. We should bring that back. Just generally sedated. Yep. Um, okay, so then we're going to talk about coffee in the Americas real quick. Okay. The mayor of Amsterdam presented a young coffee plant to King Louis the whatever, 14th of France. Okay. And he planted the, the plant in his royal botanical garden. Oh. And then one of his... Did it die? No, no. It, it, oh. it lived. And a naval officer um, of King Louis okay. took a seedling from the plant and brought it to Martinique. Oh. And he planted it, and that one seedling is responsible for about 18 million coffee trees in the Caribbean, no or at least on way. Martinique. Yep. And then, most coffee, by the way, right now, most of the coffee, I think, comes from Brazil. A large portion oh, of Brazil. coffee beans come yeah. from Brazil. It's not native to Brazil. Oh, what, interesting. What happened was um, there was a Brazilian coffee, so Francisco de Melo Parta. Mm-hmm. It was sent by the emperor to French Guinea to get coffee seedlings. And the French governor's wife, or the French governor was like, no way, this is our coffee. The French governor's wife was like, hey, you look pretty cute. Here's some coffee seedlings. Is this implied history this or is, in, is this, this actually is, history in uh, your, the thing you... The title is in cursive, so I'm not 100% sure <laughs> it's super accurate. <laughs> but it, it's apocryphal. It's apocryphal and it's fun. All right. Um... And so he, that's... She was so a great lady. She was a great lady. And yeah. he brought it back to Brazil. Mm-hmm. They planted coffee beans. And now it's one of their major exports. So thank that's very you, cool. the governor of Papua New... Or French Guinea's wife. Yes. <laughs> for being scandalous. That's like, she that's, wasn't scandalous. She was trying to help the population. She was trying to help the coffee trade. Yeah. Is what she was doing. There you go. So anyway, there's your history of coffee. <laughs> Sorry I went really long. I was excited about it. It was it was great. It was good. It was That's great. Really so good. we're drinking coffee this morning. If mm-hmm. you don't drink coffee and you're like, oh, I don't want them to do the coffee segment, just we should replace do a, replace it with whatever you drink: tea or milk or beer or beer or wine. I don't mm-hmm. know what you drink in the morning. Yeah. So or orange juice, just just <laughs> your drink, and then maybe do some research on you're like, where did orange juice originate? And mm-hmm. then you can just talk to yourself while we do this. Yeah, this is so, perfect. But let's get back into meditation. Let's talk about how to actually implement meditation as a habit into our life. So we can flush out all this inflammation. Let's hope you make the most of it, my boy. Do you remember when I used to start every action segment with be aware? You'd still start it with be aware, I'm guessing? Yes. Okay. Be, be aware. <laughs> no, um, yes, but you need to know yourself and where you're at, right? Yeah, right. Um, but the first thing I want you to do is to create a plan. Okay. So we, we have a, a habit tracker thing. Uh, you don't have to use our habit tracker. I'll put it on the screen for YouTubers. Ding. 
And then for those of you who are not on YouTube and listening in podcasts, uh, go to www.blueclippertherapy.com slash the morning struggle and I'll put all the downloads there. Yeah, because it, it, it's the one that I'm using. I don't think you're using my habit tracker. I'm using your habit tracker. Yeah, you are not. I am. I love it. It's right here. Uh, it's just not filled out yet. I'm using it. It's just not completed. It's the whole idea is that you're tracking You said it. there was no wrong way to do meditation. <laughs> you said that I could do it any way I wanted. You don't need to and use I would my get tracker. Benefits. Except for you should probably use my tracker. All right. But um, yeah, so c- come up with a plan of a quiet time that you're going to try to meditate. Okay. okay? Th- whatever this is, the, be- the best way to do this is to make it a consistent time. Morning, afternoon, night, just sometime you have time right but right. but what i found was really interesting is our schedules are really weird because we're all over the place um i don't really have a very good consistent time so i'm gonna have like two or three consistent consistent times right um that i'll try to meditate depending on what kind of day it is depending on whether i'm home or the kids have school or they're home or whatever right okay um be kind to yourself as you're going down this journey because meditation is a skill and especially if you've never meditated or tr- attempted this at all your brain is not primed for meditation so you're gonna suck at it you're gonna and just suck. be okay that you suck yeah and that you probably are not going to be able to hold it some days are going to be better than others like it's is going to be a little bit all over the place okay. um, but I would like you to start at like 15 to 30 minutes depending on how much time you have okay. um, but if you can't fit that in I mean five minutes is fine just start with something yeah it's the action of of sitting quietly yeah and know that this or is yoga yeah or yoga or anything like right. anything that's kind of meditative okay. um, or mindfulness that kind of thing um, but it's not it's cumulative so taking little mindful moments if you do, you know, 10 of those a day, you know, that are 60 seconds long, you that you've created your time frame. Like you're Oh, so you don't have to sit down for 10 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. We could do like five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes there, if we can't get ourselves to sit. Yeah, if we, we can't would, We would like to get, get there, there to, all in one sitting, right? Sure. I mean, like at, at one point, there are people who sit for like two hours at a time. There is, like to me, that's unfathomable. Like right. two hours, absolutely not. But I mean... Maybe I can work my way up to that if that's the thing okay. that I want to do, this right? This is a skill, and you can always get better at your skills. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, so some meditative helpers, because I think at the beginning, like even even I've meditated, and I've been meditating here on and off for years, um, but I think that my brain needs to be quiet. It doesn't. Your brain, okay. the idea of it quieting down and you being in this very peaceful state um, is is highly unlikely, actually, at the beginning. Okay, so like when you start having thoughts about what's on the grocery list and, mm-hmm. and what you forgot at work and what the kids have this week and all that stuff, when yeah. it comes creeping into your brain, that's probably what's going to happen anyway, so don't fight it? Yeah, because okay. well, if you fight it, then you're going to get frustrated, all that emotion is going to come up, your amygdala is going to hit. You're going to get all the cortisol and then it just kind of takes away from itself. Okay. So um, some things that kind of help with that is visualization. So the best visualization I have had for rumination, because that's my hiccup, is that you think of like a balloon. So that your thoughts are this balloon and they're, they've taken off. You've lost control of your thoughts, right? And let's say you're in a gymnasium, so you're in a contained box, but it goes all the way to the ceiling. And you're like, oh my gosh, I need to get this balloon down, right? Right. Um, but eventually, if you just kind of just leave the balloon alone and stop trying to get a ladder and jump up at it, right? It'll start to lose its air and come down. Okay. And that's kind of what we're looking to do. Okay. okay so is just, we're, just, just, just be let, mellow with let it. it let it go. And, and whatever, whatever, there's a ton of techniques out there 
but whatever you choose and helps you kind of not chase those thoughts. Yes. Because you're going to have the thoughts, just don't chase them. Yeah. And, okay. and I'm not going to promote any one single app as far as that goes. There's a billion of them. Okay. Um, but guided meditations really help for, helpful for rumination. Um, again, consistency and time. Putting timers on your phone or on... I don't know, some other device that alerts you to things sure. where you're like, oh, it's time for me to meditate. Okay. Um, get a meditation buddy. You might think it's weird to sit down with someone and like close your eyes and meditate or whatever. Oh, yeah. But it's it's actually very helpful. Yeah. So it you... doesn't have to be a solo endeavor. It, it can be a partner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, right. There's there's you, there's classes you can take on meditation where you sit with like 20 people and hang out and you meditate together. Whoa. Yeah. And so like at first you might be like, this is weird, but like... Before it's you know helpful. It, you're all enlightened. Yep. Okay. Um, and also, I think this version is really good for you is um, exercise and meditation. So it's more of a like a mindfulness. So you're like paying attention to your body as you're walking or lifting weights can be very, very meditative because you're like slowly feeling all the muscles engage and oh, then back sense. and forth. Yeah. So that qualifies and does the same kind of thing for your brain by reducing that inflammation. Oh, so if you don't like just sitting and trying that, you can mm -hmm. you can do something mindful that's active. Yes. Which, which would be kind of like yoga, like you said, weightlifting, uh, mm -hmm. if you're completely entranced. You can't be thinking about all the stuff you do while you're working out or on the treadmill. Mm -hmm. You got to actually be engaged in a mindful, fine, mindful exercise. There. Yeah. And really, okay. really pay attention to those movements. Okay. Right. Yep. The biggest barriers, so you need to know your barriers, is being too busy, uh, mind water, wandering, and anxiety or other emotions. Okay. Uh, so making sure that um, if you're too busy, you make time. If your mind's watering, wandering, yeah, it does. Um, but, but the big thing with the strong emotions, like if you're anxious about it, it, it might be time to also go to like a therapist or communicate with another support. Um, because sometimes when we take time to actually stop and we're not distracting ourselves all the time, other things can come up for us, maladaptive coping skills, all of that. So it's nice to have a, a person to talk a to. A guide. Yeah, someone to, yeah. to kind of just help you f find your way through the woods. Yeah, okay. um, especially if you've had, you know, trauma in your life or that kind of thing. Sometimes that stuff can regurgitate when we start meditating. So j I just want that to be a little asterisk. Okay. Is that what that star is called? Yeah. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Yep. Um, asterisk. Uh, asterisk. Asterisk. Oh gosh. Okay. It's I'm not okay. Gonna, yeah. Um, have a tracker of some kind. Mine has swoopies in it, but you can do whatever tracking thing that you want and then reassess as you go along. So you can do it on a weekly basis. You can do it on like an every other day basis. I don't care how you do it. Um, but reassess and then pay attention to your successes. Okay. So if things went well one day, but they've gone horrible the rest of the week, I want you to really let be like, yeah, it worked that one time. Okay. I'm going to keep trying it because your brain, this is like you said, it's a skill, it's a learning process. So we want to be able to exercise that brain and then reduce all of that swelling, reduce the amygdala, make the prefrontal cortex thicker. And then we are rocking the world. Perfect. Okay. So self-assessment, mm -hmm. find a consistent time, mm -hmm. know the bear barriers to the meditation yes. to try to find your type your, your style of meditation whether that be traditional or maybe movement based mm -hmm. and um, get some help if you need to get some help and then put it into practice yes and then we'll reduce our amygdala size we'll tone our frontal cortex and then when that lion approaches we'll be like hey you and me are going to have coffee and we'll get all excited and we'll do our taxes. So <laughs> essentially, we get it all done and we loop it back around. Perfection. Okay, well, perfect. We're going to implement this. We're going to start today. 
There's no better time to start these habits than today. Yes. So you guys go out there, start these today, and we can all build a better you. Thanks, guys.